Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Coming to you on this fine Wednesday. Happy Camel Day to the working folks here in the West. Halfway through the week, actually over halfway, which is nice. Tomorrow's Friday Eve. Again, here at WSNS Studios, we do not believe in any sort of Thursdays. We believe in Friday Eves. As a reminder that the weekend's just around the corner. And I wish and I hope you all are having a good week. If not, I hope the rest of your week goes well. I uh, have a lot going on this weekend myself. I don't know if anything uh, for you guys uh, are out there, what you're going to be doing. But uh, I wish you safe travels and success here as we celebrate the summer solstice tonight. This is the longest day of the year for daylight, and it's all downhill from here as we're smack dab right in the middle of the of the calendar and... Every night gets shorter, daylight, all the way up until the winter solstice uh, in December. So it's kind of a cool midpoint. It's nice to be able to have. And, you know, at least here we're blessed with a lot of daylight. It's been a beautiful day here in Michigan. Another great one, except for we're in a drought right now. I don't know if anyone across the Midwest of the United States is also dealing with uh, severe, severe rain shortages. But hopefully we'll, we'll get some this weekend. But uh, in any case, uh, I uh, appreciate you guys t- tuning in tonight. Thank you for checking us out wherever it might be, or whatever platform, whether it's SoundCloud where we're hosted, or YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple Music, um, Google, was it Google Music? Uh, YouTube Music and uh, Google Podcasts, I guess, is the thing. We're, we're everywhere. And so I appreciate you guys taking the time. Tonight, though, it, we're right in the middle in my, my church, by the way, just to give you a background, right smack dab in the middle of 1 Corinthians. And last week I was talking about the special nature of sexual sin and what that entails, you know, all, all a bunch of the light stuff you want to cover from the pulpit. And then this week we're talking about something, you know, another light topic, divorce, and what Paul has to say about it, which echoes a lot what Jesus said, which echoes a lot of what the Old Testament's um, heritage is. And I just wanted to just talk about what I envision if I were to have my own wedding someday. And th- and this is the thing. I th- I don't want this always to be about a, a me centric podcast, but I just wanted this to focus on like th- this idea in our culture that only women are allowed to think about their wedding, like it's it's her day, it's the bride's day. It's like, well, I, I can understand that from a cultural perspective. Usually, the guys aren't really interested, but I just want to let you know that I am incredibly interested. If God were to bless me with a wife someday, I have a dream of what my wedding would be too, and I'll get to that in a second, but. Here's the thing. What's beautiful is that when God God creates creation, and at the end of it, uh, hum- humanity is created. And it says it's, it's good for, for a man not to be alone, and so he takes a rib, makes Eve, and then they are joined together. So it's the first marriage. And then we know the sin enters the world and it's broken, but then God chooses this, this, this people, this poor nation, these people who are oppressed, these people who aren't worth anything to him, and he basically marries himself to them. And then they commit infidelity. They serve other gods. They serve themselves. And God is doesn't spare them the consequences, but he's always there to forgive them. You know, you think of Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It's a conditional statement. God says, I will do that if my people repent. And that's a whole other podcast episode, by the way, about a church in America and how we're unwilling to be repentant about anything. For me, you look at what God does. 
people repent, the children of Israel, the 40 years, you know, they repent, they're lost, they turn to God, he forgives them, they experience prosperity and success, and then they sin, and then the whole cycle starts over. But God is constantly warning against the infidelity, the idols of the nations, and God still remains faithful to himself. Then you have Jesus who comes along and says, you know, you know, the reason why Moses permitted you certificates to divorce you men is that because your hearts were hardened. Basically, you were stubborn. You were dumb. And that wasn't the ideal way. And he, he goes on to say that anyone who commits, uh, who, who divorces his wife, except for the reason for adultery, uh, is a sin. It commits adultery against her. And then Paul goes on to say the same thing. And it's something we don't teach in the church. We don't teach that the, the fact that when we say till death do us part, that type of vow is meaningful. And even if there is a separation, if your spouse is still alive, you're not, you're, you are breaking that covenant if you get remarried. And you just have to check out Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 18 uh, for this. Check out Malachi chapter 3, 2, uh, not 32, 3 as well, rather. These are all things that are in scripture. And it basically, it points back to the fact that, you know, even when God allowed that separation, when his own children and the nation turned on him, he was still faithful to them when they called back. He didn't go choose another nation, right? And the nation didn't die. So he wasn't released from that covenant uh, either. And so like marriage, if you get divorced, even if it is for adultery, if you get remarried, you're committing adultery against that person. Now, this doesn't apply, again, to marriages, and I say that in the colloquial sense. I don't mean it in the spiritual sense. I don't know the civil union between non-Christians because that's not a marriage because, again, the church has completely ceded the high ground and allowed marriage to be defined by the culture. And I'm talking about Christian marriages, a marriage that was that was, that was like, we are both Christians. We're doing this in the sight of God, before God, and fellow and in front of other fellow brothers and sisters. And to those who become Christians while they're married, Paul even says that, like, well, if it's consensual that this person is now a Christian, stay with that person because you've consecrated and saved your husband and your kids, you know, or or the wife and the kids. You know, so like they give all the scenarios; they're just there. It's just incumbent upon us shepherds and whether or not we're going to instruct the sheep or us pastors instructing our our people on these very points. We just skip over it. You know, we just skip over that part of the Sermon on the Mount. We skip over that. Uh, latter uh, chapter in Matthew chapter 18. We skip over, um, you know, the whole, the entire book of Ephesians. We skip over 1 Corinthians 7. And it's hard. It, it's very hard. I'm not saying that it's, it's easy to preach on because it's used a lot to shame people. Um, but here's the thing is that, um, and by the way, I, I, I apologize. It's Matthew 19 verses 3 through 12, not Matthew 18. Forgive me. I know someone's going to fat chat me on that, but it's Matthew 19. Uh, so, if it's taught in a way and it's come to shame people, then of course it we're, we're guilty, and uh, us teachers need to be remorseful and repenting of that type of behavior. But it can be communicated in a kind and gentle way, absolutely, and we just don't do that because we don't want to touch the topic. Unfortunately, I remember one of my professors in at school in theology. His name was Dr. Mark Quantrum, and he said, you know, you guys, you future ministers, you future pastors will have to get to a point where you come to a topic like divorce, and, and that touches half of your congregation, and you're going to have to preach on it, or you'll be tempted to water it down or skip over it because you don't want to see people leave, and therefore the income of the church drops, including potentially yours, or you might have to let go of somebody who's been there for a long time because you just financially can't support it. So he said, which God are you going to serve? 
the wallet that day or God's word. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like it's, it's a very real temptation. Very real. I, I completely understand. I completely get it. And so these are some things that I, I've been thinking about. When you tie all that together, what a beautiful thing marriage can be and what it's supposed to represent about Jesus and his sacrifice for the church and that marital union of, of the fact that Jesus is willing to give himself up for the church and in an act of service. And it is a metaphor for God and the children of Israel. Would that at least beg us to ask the question, is this marriage rooted in the Holy Spirit or my own wants and desires? You'd be saying, well, Michael, wouldn't that mean there's people out there that just don't need to get married or shouldn't get married because it's not good because everyone can see the writing on the wall? And may I dare say, yes. Hopefully, all these passages in Scripture make us pause and hopefully seek out the peace of the Holy Spirit in that decision-making process. So I say all that. And I'm thinking to myself, there are some things that I would love in my wedding someday, a couple of which are Real deal breakers. Like one first and biggest thing is no alcohol. I don't want alcohol at my wedding. I'm not against alcohol personally, but I don't trust a lot, a lot of people on a very special day. That's a holy day. It's consecrated to the Lord. I don't want any drunk people at my wedding, including any of the people in the wedding party. That just doesn't need to be a story you need to talk about because when you talk about the wedding, it'll always be that day that that some person did that one thing, right? Jumped in the punch bowl or something. Well, that's the first thing. But I also wanted to start the ceremony. I want the ceremony to be short. I don't want it to be fancy. I don't want a big wedding. I don't want a lot of money spent. I want to spend money on the honeymoon. That's what I like to do. But I would like to begin, even before we do vows, I would love, and I know people do this, but it, I, would, I would specifically do it in front of people before the vows. And that would be to wash my future wife's feet. That before I even enter in this covenant, we can get down on our knees both her and I, and we can begin the marriage, even before the marriage, with an act of service. But that's the first thing we do as a, as a symbol and representation to everyone else saying that we are there to serve each other and that all of our brothers and sisters who are present to affirm that are there to hold us accountable in that marriage. That's, that's like the first thing. Second thing is I need my dad as my best man. I told him, I said, you know, I, I don't understand like why I would choose anyone else because my dad's like been the best male influence in my entire life here on this planet. Very simple. Dad is my best man. And the other thing is I would love to have some really great food at the reception, but more importantly, I would love to serve it to the guests. I would love to have the apron and the gloves on, maybe a hairnet or whatever. And I want to would love to serve the food to my family and friends who have come to support us. The reception is for the people who have come. The wedding is for the bride and the groom, for God, to be consecrated to God. Like, that's, for me, what I want because it's a testimony to everybody else. It's a thank you to everyone else, and you can have the time of your life. I've thought about it for a long time because I want people to remember the wedding, not just because it was different, but because it's like, oh, they did that because it, it meant this to them. It's growing together in the Lord. 
That's what I want people to remember. Yeah, great food, short, you know, indoors, so you're not dying of heat stroke. You know, the, we don't go take pictures for three hours while people just stand around waiting for the reception to start. No. No, no, no. Bend enough of that. It's okay, guys out there, if you're listening, if you're not married and want to be someday, it's okay that you have your desires about your wedding too. Because without you, you couldn't make it happen. It's not just the bride's day. And I'm not one to do things by the cultural standards. I think it's one of the reasons why the church is really in a lot of hot water in this country is because we've ceded so much to the culture and we haven't fought back. So I wanted to share that to you like so you can hear my heart tonight. But also for those of you who are married, who maybe have slipped a little bit or maybe you're thinking about renewing your vows because you maybe become closer together because of the Lord has brought you together. Maybe you have become Christians in the afterworkings of your initial wedding ceremony that was completely secularized, that you know you became Christians after the fact. Maybe you're considering renewing your vows because you want to make it a marriage covenant now in the eyes of God. These are some things to be thinking about and what it really means to be married, that to bring potential children in this world, to have progeny that follow in your footsteps that are raised in the eyes of the Lord and the ter- in the care of Him. Hopefully this gets you thinking. I appreciate your time tonight, everyone. Again, happy Wednesday. I hope the rest of your week is good. I appreciate and love you guys. May God bless you. May God keep you.